0: If you don't have a sermon outline, I'd like to ask you to just lift your hand and let these kind gentlemen give one to you. Um, It is a uh, half-sheet this morning. As uh, our headmaster for Sheridan Hills Christian School, Eric Spee comes to preach to us God's Word today. And I am especially encouraged by testimonies. Many of you have shared your testimony with uh, other people, maybe a testimony of your salvation um, perhaps it's a testimony of God's work in your life and other areas, too. Uh, this morning, I want you to hear how God has moved and worked in one of our staff members, as how God has moved and worked in the life of Eric Spee, and how God used people in the body of Christ in this man's life. So, um, would you please welcome to the pulpit this morning, Mr. Eric Spee. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Great to be here this morning. Good to see everybody, even in the balcony, all the way up there. Uh, Good to see you. I remember when my wife and I used to sit up there, and we enjoyed the anonymity. But uh, those days are past when you're headmaster. Uh, I am headmaster of Sharon Hills Christian School. If you're a visitor this morning, maybe you don't know that we have a school that serves infants through 12th graders right here on this campus for 10 months out of the year. Unless you're in preschool, then it's 12 months out of the year. Uh, It's a great ministry. Uh, Sheridan Hills Baptist Church has founded a lot of ministries over the years, planted churches, planted things like Sheridan House and Hope Women's Center, but of course the one closest to my heart is Sheridan Hills Christian School, which has been a big part of my life, as well as uh, being part of this church, and I hope that comes out here. It's a beautiful job, I love my job, it's not always an easy job, Um, and I realized that when I was a first-time principal at another school about a decade ago, and I remember people saying, I was in my mid-30s, and people said, oh, you look really good for your age. Because they assume a principal's older, right? You know, in the last few years, people stopped saying that. <laughs> I did have, you know, students say the craziest things, and we do have small students that will say a lot of things. And one of them said to me recently uh, this year, Mr. Spee, no, you look so young. You look so, because oh, on campus, oh, I'm not going to take the stairs and feel a little old today. And they'll say, Mr. Spee, you're not old. You look good for your age. You look good for 60. <laughs> I'm 44. When you are with children, you gotta be ready for anything. You just, you really do. Um, And I was a history teacher for over a decade and in the words of a great history teacher, Indiana Jones, (laughs) it's not the years, it's the mileage, okay? And uh, there's been a lot of mileage in my life uh, to get to this point, but it's all worth it. God has worked in it. And as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy, as he came to the end of his life, fight the good fight and finish the race, right? And that's what we have to do uh, every day. I hope as I, as I share this morning that you see Christ, not me. Because Eric Spee is a sinful, imperfect, rebellious-hearted person. And I have no business standing here if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ and how he used people from this church and this school um, really to save me as the hands of, of saving my life. And, and not just literally, or not figuratively, but literally. Um, I do first want to discuss... Uh, Mark chapter 12, and the greatest commandment. If you have your Bibles open to Mark 12, you'll, know, uh, you'll see on the top, so the greatest commandment. That's kind of the common title for this. And uh, Jesus uh, is, is uh, confronted with one of the scribes. And so uh, let's read this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Circle the word strength for me. We're going to come back to that one. The second is this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength is to love one's neighbor as oneself in much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Well, Jesus was in a debate. This was very common at the time. We live in the 21st century in an era where people are on social media far too much. And when they are, they argue and get way too sensitive and argue about things. If you're not on social media, please stay off of it. Okay? Just, just, that's just free advice. Please don't. Uh, in Jesus' culture, though, to stand there and argue Scripture was very common. That was their culture. That was acceptable. It wasn't always personal. Yes, there were The Pharisees who were obviously against Jesus, we read about that in the the Gospels, but there was also some good-hearted debate, and I think this is one of those examples, and during this debate, Jesus is asked which commandment is most important. Now, I'm going to be the teacher here. Pop quiz. How many commandments were they drawing from? How many commandments were there? Oh, I'm so happy you said 10. It's not. It's not. It's not. Ten are like the overview, right? They're the big ten. They're the ones we teach you because learning the other 613 are both uh, oftentimes irrelevant and just too detailed. Yes, there were 613 laws of the Old Testament that this scribe is bringing to Jesus. There's a reason we don't talk about those 613 now. And if you want to understand New Covenant things, we'll talk to you after service. That's a little complicated for for, uh, my time this morning. But uh, this guy is drawing from 613 when he talks to Jesus. And Jesus responds using scripture. So he was using scripture to debate. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5-6. to Which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And by the way, when I told you to circle strength. That is actually the Hebrew word meod. And that word strength is not a great translation for that. It means your being, your entire being, your muchness, every bit of your body, soul, strength, everything about you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Does that make sense? Like it, it wasn't just your physical strength, it was everything. Um, and we also know that verse because it teaches diligently to your children while you walk by the way, when you retire, when you arise. And you will put them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, let them be frontlets between your eyes. So that's Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then then Jesus talks about Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, to us in a Baptist church, 2020 might mean one thing. In Jesus' time, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was quoting the Shema prayer. And the Shema prayer comes straight out of the Old Testament, and the Shema prayer was created uh, by the rabbis and the scribes over the years. Okay, pause with me here. History. I'm a history teacher. Got to bear with me. Let's go back to the 6th century BC. The, the Temple of Solomon is destroyed by the Babylonians, and what do they do? They destroy Jerusalem and take the Jews where? To Babylon. Not all of them, but the elite certainly ended up in Babylon, okay? Uh, it was Judah that was taken, the northern tribe of Israel was already long gone. Uh, taken away by the Assyrians. But the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which had assimilated into Judah, that's where we get the term Jews, had been taken away to Babylon. And because the temple was destroyed, because they were in this pagan city of Babylon, they had to do something to retain their Jewishness and their obedience to God. So they developed liturgy and prayers. And one of the prayers they probably wrote around that time was the Shema prayer. It was so they could remain Following God, continue to follow God, even in a pagan city like Babylon. Uh, when Jesus quotes this, they automatically know what he's talking about. Because they would have heard every single week in synagogue, which synagogues were still new at the time of Jesus. Uh, Daniel, the book of, uh, the, uh, Daniel of the Old Testament, he's, very respo- he's considered responsible for a lot of those prayers. We don't know if he wrote the Shema, but he's responsible for a lot of what Jewish prayers today in the synagogue. And the Shema... Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, o Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. It's affirming the oneness of God. Yes, he's the Trinity in three beautiful things, but in, in oneness. But he also uses the term Shema, which in Hebrew, Shema means, it, 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 Shema is Hebrew for hear and obey. Hear and obey. Once again, and I love the English language, but it lets us down. Because it tells us in Mark, hear, O Israel. It's half the story. I don't know about you. I tell my kids to listen all the time. Doesn't always work, does it? So in my household, we'll say, Shema, Shema, listen and obey. Do both. Don't just hear me, obey, right? And so Jesus is talking about Shema, listen and obey these two major commandments as the greatest commandment. Jews, even today, um, the really orthodox one, they take this literally, and you will see, if you ever go to Israel, you'll see they sometimes put it in a, the scripture. They'll, they'll take Deuteronomy 6, 5, 6 and Leviticus 19, 18, put it on a scroll, put it in a box, have it on their on a thing on their head and they'll wrap it around their hand. When that's my opinion, with all due respect to my Jewish friends, it's not what we're supposed to do. It's a metaphor. God is saying it's not, we have to love the Lord our God with what we think and what we do, right? We have to hear and obey it's not to literally put it on our bodies. And that's also where they put that scripture in the little mezuzah that goes on their, their doorpost. Again, taking it literally instead of the metaphor, which is just we need to have God be every part of our being. Every bit of us needs to be following and loving God. And that's what Mark 12, God is, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is making completely clear. As Christians, we shema as a reaction to God's Incredible grace. Okay, we don't hear and obey just because we have to. We do it as a response to grace. We are saved through Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross and resurrection three days later guaranteed salvation to all those who believe and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. So that's why we shema. We shema in response to grace. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're new this morning and this is foreign language to you, please don't leave this morning without talking to a pastor, uh, that's the most important thing in your life is to understand the salvation through Jesus. As a young man, as many, I, I learned how to hear at an early age, but not necessarily to obey. And that's kind of where my story starts. I heard the word of God at a young age. I was born in North Miami, which is interesting because I come, people my age, very few of us were actually born in South Florida. I mean, Pastor Andrew was, but there aren't too many of us, right? Most of us, we're not native. You know, we might be first-generation Floridians. I was. Uh, My grandparents fled the violence in Detroit in the late 60s and came to South Florida for peace and quiet. (laughs) I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, But uh, my mom and my grandparents were Lutherans, so I went to Lutheran church as a small child. So I got to hear the word of God in service, I knew all the Bible stories. I could read the Bible. I knew all those things. And those were really, that was a really good thing. But I, of course, had not only learned half the Shema at that point. I attended uh, Lutheran schools uh, growing up. Um, After, well, well, let me go back a little bit. My parents, uh, my my father moved us up to Orlando shortly after my birth. We were there for four years. And then uh, when my parents divorced, my mom moved back in with her parents. So I had three parents. I had my mother and I had my grandma and my grandfather who were uh, survivors of the Great Depression. Now, I don't know if anybody here can remember the Great Depression, I doubt that, but maybe you knew people who did. There were certain things about people from the Great Depression. Their pantry was always full, right? And the refrigerator was full. We probably threw away more spoiled food as a kid, but that's because they knew what it was like to be hungry. And they didn't wanna relive that. So I did get an old school upbringing as a young child. And I did attend Lutheran church and Lutheran schools. I went to four Lutheran schools because they kept closing. Because as the demographic of South Florida changed, uh, the Midwest white people who went to Lutheran schools just weren't there anymore. And so, uh, I loved my last Lutheran school, Lutheran High, it was called, over in Davie. And I was really active in the school. I had friends. My aunt taught there. It was awesome. I loved it. Never wanted to leave. And I made the baseball team. See, one of my first idols in life, one of my first competitions for loving God with all my heart and soul, mind and strength was baseball. I loved baseball. Baseball didn't love me back (laughs) because I wasn't any good. But I loved baseball and I was going to make it in baseball, so I naively thought. And I played baseball at Lutheran High and I was a right fielder. What does that tell you? you know anything about baseball, who do they put in right field? Not the best player, right? But one day, my last year there, we went across town to Hollywood into the little baseball field right here and we played a school called Sheridan Hills Christian School. And I had a good game. I got a hit. I caught some balls in the outfield. We whooped Sheridan Hills. (laughs) And when Lutheran High closed, as sad as that was for me, I thought, maybe I should go to Sheridan Hills. I can make that team. (laughs) So God used baseball to get me to go to a Baptist school, which was, for me, a completely different world. I heard things like, give your life to Christ. What does that mean? I don't know. We don't say that in Lutheran church. I had no idea. Be born again? I mean, I remember reading the Bible verse, but I didn't understand what that meant. Like, do I I have to be born again? I've been born once? I was baptized as an infant? I'm good, right? I go to church on Sunday. That's good enough, right? That was what I thought. Although I was blessed with an amazing uh, set of mother and grandparents, I, I did have to struggle with a culture around me that was very serious into alcohol, even drug use. It was in my house sometimes, it was, it was around a lot. It was around a lot. And I learned the idea of cultural Christianity, the idea that I was to be a Christian on Sundays between 10 and 12, but ignore him the rest of the week and do as I pleased. If anything, the people, many of the people around me were just trying to get to Friday night. And you know, Friday night was not for good things. God has done so many things in my life, and and I don't deserve any of it. Um, One was, and I can't explain any of it, really, other than his grace. My mother was surrounded by a family that did like to drink quite heavily in some cases. My uh, grandparents started to quit drinking when I came into the picture because I was like their fifth son and they wanted to kind of behave a little better when I was around, and and they were awesome. Um, But my mom didn't drink, didn't smoke, never touched anything illegal, never did anything like that, lived a pure life. And I say that this morning as a thanks to my mom, but maybe there's somebody in this room, you are the person who has been the the recipient of a parent who wanted to be a chain breaker, right? Who wanted to break generations of sin. And, uh, you know, maybe it's, you know, thank God for putting people like that in our lives, but maybe you are that person. Maybe you are that person who's struggling really hard to break sin that has been in your family for generations and, and try to change things for Christ. I just encourage you this morning, if that's you, to continue fighting the good fight, because I wouldn't be standing here if my mother hadn't done that. And it it was a real blessing. Um, my, my, uh, my father rarely called me, and when he did, he was drunk. I had to spend one week a year as part of the, the you know, the plan of, of shared custody. I had to spend one week a year. And it was in the summertime with my father up in his trailer in Orlando, and it was not my fondest memories. But if you know you're, if you've been with a small child that has been through divorce like that, they oftentimes. It's, it's amazing how you forgive, you forget, and then you're burned again. And the cycle just continues. My dad will be different this time, he'll be different this time. And then you get there, you spend the week, you're like, I'll never put myself through that again. And then 11 months later, I'm like, I can't wait to see my dad again, because maybe it'll be different. And then you get there and it's not different. But you have that eternal hope that he'll change. And, and he didn't. Uh, when I was in middle school, I had a severe health scare. Uh, some doctors didn't know, the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. It was an issue with my heart. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It turned out to be nothing. Something today that with a little bit of medication is completely curable. But at the time, it's kind of befuddling the doctors. One doctor said I didn't have, uh, much of an opportunity to survive past 22. Um, obviously I'm still here. Uh, my mother called my dad that day to tell when I came out of the doctors and, and, and said, to call my dad and said, uh, Eric just went through this. And my dad and I talked on the phone, and that was the last time he spoke to me for five years. At a time when I really needed him in middle school, he just, he wasn't there. Um, He reestablished his relationship with me right before I graduated high school. And uh, he came to my high school graduation, he sat right there at my high school graduation, right where Bernita is. And uh, we have this tradition at Sheridan Hills Christian School When we do our graduation right here, we give away roses to the students and they bring them to their parents as a thank you for the sacrifice the parents have made. And I grabbed that rose and I ran right to my mother and my grandparents. I do tell my my seniors today when I do graduation training, don't use graduation as an opportunity to settle scores like I did. It's a big regret that I have. Um, We don't wanna do that. When God's calling you to reconciliation you you follow. Um, I didn't know that that was the last time I was gonna see my father. Um, He died by suicide violently a year later. And that was the last time I saw him. I had all these issues. I had my health scare, which also gave me this understanding that life had a termination point. So even as a 13 year old, I, I faced my own mortality. Some people don't do that until they're 70 or 80. I did it at 12 and as bad as it was for a decade, God used that to pull me to a saving knowledge of him as well. And I brought the health issue. I brought the issues with my dad, all the other dysfunction that I had around me. And I all brought it to Sheridan Hills Christian School with me. I had this big suitcase of baggage and I dumped it right into all my classes every day. And I made those teachers' lives difficult because I came with a full rebellious heart. Thank God I heard the gospel in chapel every week and in my Bible classes You know the little chapel here to your left? We had chapel in there. We were a small enough school back then. We can. We have over 500 now, so we have to meet in here. But uh, I was in the tiny little chapel when a guest speaker came in. Don't even know his name. But he presented the gospel and said, who wants to pray to receive Christ? And I raised my hand as a 14, 15-year-old. I knew there was something wrong, and I needed Jesus. I didn't really know what that meant. I was hearing, right? But I wasn't yet obeying. I was only doing half the Shema. And I did feel the Holy Spirit tug it at my heart. I was just not loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though God was pulling me. And by 10th grade, I ended up in full rebellion mode. And adding to my rebellion, I found another outlet. I wanted to be a rock star. I played guitar and I played bass. I was, my hippie uncles had taught me how to play guitar and bass, amongst other things they tried to teach me, but uh, didn't always listen. But uh, they, they spent a lot of time with me teaching how to play guitar. And I decided I was gonna have as my outlet being a singer-songwriter, you know, cause that's always worked out for every celebrity, right? And I uh, took it very seriously and it was really, um, was, it was a big deal to me. And God even used that because I started a band with some friends of mine. uh, And one of them was the principal's son. So where did I end up practicing our rock music? In the second story of my principal's house. That was awkward. Really awkward. Because if you knew Marjorie Hodges, if you have ever met Marjorie Hodges, well, if you meet her today, it's not fair. She's nice and sweet now. She... she, (laughs) She, she's been retired for 15 years, but she looks 20 years younger uh, than when she was principal. My wife says, oh, so that's what's going to happen to you, right? When you retire, you're going to look, you're going to actually look younger. I'm like, dream on, honey. But, but Mrs. Mrs. Hodges had this, had this veneer about her of authority, and yet she allowed us to practice in her house. And as crazy as things were, I got to see something. I got to see a Christian family, Perry and Margie, Marjorie Hodges, I got to see them on the weekends or whenever I was rehearsing, they would say, oh, here, come eat dinner with us. And we just talk about the Bible. And they would steer me towards good theology, especially when I was completely off. They took all these Baptist terms that I didn't quite understand and they narrowed it down so my mind could understand these things. It was, uh, and by the way, if there was any of their neighbors in the room from that time, I apologize, because we were loud. We were really, really loud. Uh, it was really, really crazy. At school, I was blessed to have an amazing English teacher, Miss Steen, who to this day doesn't know anything I think that, that's happened to me. And, and she awoke a passion of literature and English with me and taught me these things. She gave me an outlet to write that was healthy, but she also called me out when I needed discipline which was, off, which was quite often actually. And she did that delicate balance of, of reeling in and then allowing me to be properly um, expressing myself. That's really one of the challenging things about teaching because you're constantly corralling kids between what they want and they shouldn't be doing, but yet still giving them that opportunity to, to grow. It's a, it's a really difficult thing to do and I'm grateful to Miss Dean who uh, really taught me a lot and, and helped reel me in quite a bit now, my bandmates, they wanted to get into music for the same reason most guys did. They wanted to get girls, okay? That wasn't my interest. I actually did want to uh, be in the music. I actually wanted to make music, and I didn't get any girls anyway. So it, it, it didn't, not with a face like this. So it didn't really, it didn't really matter uh, to me. Um, I will say that I reached my rebellious peak in 10th grade, and my, three of my very good friends were told not to come back to Sheridan Hills, one was expelled in the fourth quarter, and the other two, don't come back. Now, I had, I had a scholarship to come to Sheridan Hills. My mother worked three jobs to send me here, but I still had a small scholarship. To pay for that scholarship, I cleaned the third floor of the E-Building up here. That meant I took out, I vacuumed the floor. We had carpet back then. I took out the garbage, and I cleaned the chalkboard trays. Teenagers, chalkboard trays. <laughs> Are these things that were green with chalk? and No. Somebody over 40 will have to explain it later. Um, but it made a lot of dust. So I had to clean that every day. Insurance reasons, we can't do that anymore. But sadly, because it really taught me a lot. But no matter how much work I did, I had punched my ticket out of Sheridan Hills and my scholarship for the next year was denied. And it should have been because I was awful. Then my mom and I said, okay, what are we going to do? We started looking at public school. And then she talked to me at the dinner table and said, you know, Eric, not only... I got a phone call today. She said, not only are you getting your scholarship back, it's more than what you had last year. So you can come back, go back to Sheridan Hills. I thought, wow, that's great. So I went back for an 11th and 12th grade, continued to get discipled, continued to be mentored, continued to be prayed for by the church and the school, and continued to grow. Although I was far from a saint, I was slowly, slowly, slowly learning to listen and obey the Holy Spirit more and more. It was six years later, I was going through my student file as an employee here. And uh, I'm not sure I was supposed to do that. But I wanted to see what the teachers wrote about me in high school. Okay? (laughs) It wasn't as bad as I thought. They were really kind-hearted people. Uh, I would have written totally different. But they were really wonderful. But in that, I found a letter. In That that was a letter from, from Marjorie Hodges to the headmaster saying, my husband and I will pay for Eric's tuition. And I don't want him to ever know it. And if I hadn't rummaged through my file, I wouldn't have found that out. I still have that letter. It sits in my desk. And when I have to have a difficult meeting with a parent or even a good one with a, with a student or something, I, I read that letter. And, and if ever, even in my sinful nature today, I ever question why I get up to do what God has called me to do, that letter is right there to remind me how God delivered me. Uh, and so I was able to go back to Sheridan Hills on that. And uh, I, think, I think the Hodges, I mean, what a great example of the greatest commandment, love your neighbor, right? I mean, that was amazing. You just don't know, ladies and gentlemen, how uh, giving to the Bill Billingsley Scholarship Fund, which helps students at our school attend, our, you know, our school who can't afford it. Um, you know, you don't know how doing those little things can make a massive difference in the life of somebody. Um, supporting the church. I mean, it, it, lives are changing. Uh, I don't have time, but if I, I could look over here, and I know this. I have, I'm sharing with you my story this morning. There are stories right over here in this youth section that are, that are just as telling, just as powerful, and we're just blessed to have that be at our school. I graduated from Sheridan Hills, and I had... I, I took... Uh, I worked several jobs. Um, at 1.3 jobs, I cleaned an old lady's house. I uh, worked at Publix in the stock and closing at night. I sold jewelry inside of Sam's Club for two years. I ran the 4-H program on an interim basis and I pursued my dreams of music glory on the side. Interestingly enough, I also worked at Sheridan Hills on the side, doing a whole lot of strange jobs. I worked in the maintenance department, I cleaned toilets, I broke things down, I cut the grass, I maintained the fields, I answered phones in the front desk. Sheridan Hills Christian School, this is Eric Spee speaking, how can I help you? I worked as administrative assistant to the principals, to the the admissions department. Anything they needed, I did because I needed the money, but also because it helped me learn this thing called Christian education. I subbed at every grade level, learning very quickly that I was not gonna be an elementary teacher, okay? It was not in my nature, so, okay? And I, you know, I did everything, I coached a bunch of sports, uh, and it was just a great time to grow and learn, all while I'm taking classes to finish my bachelor's degree in history. I was slowly learning not just to hear, but also obey. I started to attend church here at Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, and every time those doors were open, I was here, sucking in the word every bit I could because I was so deficient. I I knew the Bible stories, but I didn't know the heart of God well enough, and I had to hear it here from Pastor Billingsley and Clell Coleman and all the other people that served here. Clell Coleman uh, baptized me right there. Um, when I be, you know, gave my life to Christ 100% and said, uh, I'm going to live 100% for him. I will say that I finally got the chance that I was looking for. I was in a very successful band. We got to open for a lot of pseudo famous, kind of famous stuff. And a famous band opened for us that went on to be millionaires. And we had a chance to tour the United States, opening for another group. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And when I got the phone call that we had this opportunity, I quit. Because it was either love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, a little bit, half and half, or all the way. And it was time to push the world out and be committed 100% to Christ. And I walked away right when it seemed to be something, that the dream, the dream was finally coming true, only to give in to God's plan which is infinitely better than anything I could have ever imagined in my wildest dreams, you know. Um, I walked away and committed my life 100% to Christian education. After all, that's what God had used to save me, right? That was the instrument he used. And so I jumped in. Um, I was was finishing my first year of teaching, uh, or near my, my first semester of teaching high school here. And... You know, when you graduate from a small school like this, you still stay friends with uh, your classmates, oftentimes. And one of my classmates was named Paola, and we stayed friends, and we'd hang out together maybe twice a year with all the group. And she said, you need to come to my house for this farewell party for Carlos, who also went to school with us, and he's my cousin. You gotta come, and I'm like, I'm so tired. I don't wanna go. She said, no, you have to come. So I dragged myself out, and I went to her house for this farewell party. Uh, for Carlos, and all of a sudden, the door opened in her house, and this girl walked through, named Kathy, (laughs) who was Paola's first cousin, and we were married 13 months later. It'll be 20 years in August, and I still see Paola, who went to high school with me. I still see her occasionally at family events, and she'll say, I can't believe my cousin married Eric Spee. (laughs) The wicked Eric Spee, <laughs> now reformed. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Um, but you know, God has blessed us. Obviously, we have three children that all attend the school here. And uh, we're blessed to be part of the church. I know Sheridan Hills Baptist Church and Sheridan Hills Christian School, it's wonderful, not just what it got, how God used it in my life, but now I get to see how it's being used in my children's life as well. And, uh, and it, it's just a beautiful thing. And then since we do, Dedicate so much of our time to our students. It's just such a blessing when they're here. When we see them in the pews. When we see them uh, coming to church here and being under Bible teaching and growing. It just right, Kathy. I mean, we just we just go. You don't. You don't know. That's what makes us get up in the morning. Thank you. Um, Jesus said the greatest commandment was actually twofold: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and mayode or strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I hope you can hear from my story today that many people, uh, not even mentioned today, helped get me where I am because God used them. Um, Our Sharon Hills teachers today still strive to work with students no matter where they came from, no matter what they've been through. Um, Not all of them come, thankfully, with with my baggage. Um, Most of them come with good Christian families just trying to make it work. But there's always an Eric Spee in there somewhere. Uh, that needs Jesus, and uh, we we strive every day to try to help those people. Uh, One of the, some people have asked, you "You ever play the game, what's the best and worst day of your life? Um, I was in my second year of teaching, and I got a phone call that one of my best friends from high school, one of the ones that I started the band with, one of the guys that got kicked out when I did, that he was shot and killed in a violent sort of drug action, Uh, and I went to his funeral, and I have to say that was one of the best and worst days of my life. Horrible because I was looking at one of my best friends from high school laying there in a coffin. Thankfully, he did give his life to Christ shortly before it all happened and, and I'm pretty assured of his salvation. But at the same time, I stared at it and said it could have been me. It should have been me. I, am, I know where I came from. I know what I have and what I don't have. And I know what a sinner I am. And yet, thank God that he chose to save me. How is God challenging you today? What is God putting in your heart? I, he might be asking you to love one another more. You know, we're going into an election year where the worst can come out in the average American. We can disagree with people, but let's show the love of Christ. Nobody ever came to Christ because politically, their political position was altered, it's because they saw Christ in, a, in the heart of a Christian. So let's do that. Let's love one another more. Maybe God is calling you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, maybe there's something in between you and giving your whole life to Christ. For me, it was music. What is it for you? Is there something holding you back? A relationship, an addiction, a challenge, uh, uh, money, your love of money, stuff, trying to be validated by this world or other people when the validation we need is good enough in Christ. Is God calling you to hear him through? The, and how do, you hear the, how do you hear the Lord? Well, you hear him through the Bible, you hear him through the preaching of God's word, and you hear it through the fellowship of believers. That's why if this is your first time at church this morning, don't let it be your last. If it's your first time in a long time, if you're a 25% Christian, don't be surprised when you only get 25% of God. If he's calling you to be here, be here. Make that commitment. God's plan is better and you can only hear him if you're, in, if you're reading his word, if you're hearing the preaching of the word and you're in a fellowship of believers. And finally, is he calling you to believe in Jesus for the first time? If, you, if nothing I'm saying today makes any sense to you, don't leave today without finding out what that means. Pastor Andrew, Pastor Jason will be in the pastor's reception back there. We'll have people at the end of the service uh, in these uh, places in the corner. If you need to pray with somebody, pray. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. I'll be back in the, in, in the pastor's reception if you want to pray. I encourage you, don't leave today without knowing that you know that you're spending eternity with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We're about to go before him in one of the great reminders of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Use this time. Maybe God's calling you to use this time to clear your heart before you accept the juice, and the, and the bread. But if he's calling you to obey him fully, to Shema, to hear and obey, because you've responded to his grace, I challenge you this morning to, to obey that, to follow that. Let's pray.